Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to History of Europe Key Battles, Part 3 of 7 of the Thirty Years' War, The Danish Invasion. Last week I described the Bohemian Revolt of 1618, which led to a major confrontation between the Habsburgs and their Catholic allies on the one hand, and the rebels who had taken control of Bohemia and their Protestant allies on the other. Frederick V, as Elector of the Palatinate of the Rhine and a devout Calvinist, was one of the most powerful princes of Europe. He accepted an invitation from the rebels for the crown of Bohemia and travelled to Prague. The head of the Habsburgs, Ferdinand II, elected as Holy Roman Emperor in 1619, worked closely with Catholic allies in Europe, notably Spain and Bavaria, and he achieved a crushing victory over Frederick and the rebels, most notably a military victory just outside Prague at the Battle of White Mountain. In retrospect, without significant support from his allies, Frederick's adventure was doomed to failure. He failed to get the help from foreign powers that he needed, and an alliance of German Protestant princes called the Protestant Union was completely ineffective during the conflict. Once the revolt was defeated, he lost not only any chance of acquiring the crown of the Kingdom of Bohemia, but also his home titles in the Palatinate of the Rhine. The war may have ended there, and been relatively brief. There were main problems to be resolved, such as the fate of the exiled Frederick V, but the Bohemian revolt was over, and Ferdinand's victories had seemed to have achieved some stability. Bavaria and Saxony, the two most powerful German princes, were satisfied with their alliance with the Emperor and France was generally keen to support a peaceful settlement of international affairs. However, there were various tensions around Europe at the time, which altogether fuelled the conflict further. In particular, the crushing of the Bohemian Revolt happened to coincide with the end of the Twelve Years' Truce between Spain and United Dutch Provinces. The Dutch had been in revolt against Spanish rule since 1568. Both sides were exhausted by decades of conflict, so a peace was agreed in 1609. The southern half of the Netherlands remained Catholic and under Spanish control, 
but the northern half had achieved de facto independence. War was widely expected on the expiry of the treaty in 1621, as factions on both sides sought an opportunity to assert control over their own governments, and at the same time advance their own country's best interests as they saw it. The end of the truce also coincided with the death of Philip III of Spain at the age of 42, leaving as king his 16-year-old son, Philip IV. Historians used to judge Philip IV harshly, as weak and lazy, and it is true that Spain's power declined as a whole during his long reign of more than 40 years. More recently, though, assessment of Israel has been more sympathetic to the challenges he faced. Benjamin Curtis, in his book The Habsburgs, The History of a Dynasty, describes Philip IV as intelligent, cultivated and diligent. Quote, he recognised that Spain had been adrift under the negligent rule of his father, and he wanted to correct those deficiencies. But it was his misfortune to rule during a very troubled time, and some of the troubles were of his own making. The view of Jill Kilsby in her book, Spain, Rise and Decline, 1474-1643, is similar. She writes, Philip, quote, was intelligent, pious and caring, and he extensively supported the arts, particularly drama. His major defect seems to have been his lack of confidence, which led him to depend on others. This was especially true at the beginning of his reign, when the most important influence was Gaspar de Guzman, Count of Olivares. Olivares, aged then 34, took over the affairs of government soon after Philip's accession to the throne. He was dynamic and energetic, ambitious and ruthless, and he was determined to re-establish Spain's reputation as the leading power of Europe after a couple of difficult decades. Spain's vast empire was then at its greatest extent, comprising also Portugal and southern Italy, as well as lands in the Americas. But coordination and effective defence of such a vast realm proved very challenging. The expiry of the truce of the Dutch in 1621 gave Philip and Olivares an opportunity to restore Spanish pride and retake control of the Netherlands. After all, the honour of the dynasty determined that they should restore control over lost territory. Another motivation for resuming war was the concern about Dutch attacks on the Portuguese areas of the empire, particularly in Brazil. Spain was on reasonably good terms with most of the other major powers of Western Europe, including both France and England, but tensions remained. The Catholic allies, the Spanish, Habsburgs and Bavarians together were spending the years 1621 to 1624 mopping up the last pockets of support for Frederick in Germany. King James I of England was unhappy about his son-in-law Frederick V losing his titles in the Palatinate. He was unwilling to directly intervene, but did provide some financial support to the local commanders still resisting the Habsburgs within the Empire. By 1624, the only commander left in the field fighting the Protestant corner was Count Mansfeld, who was proving stubbornly difficult to defeat. 
Mansfeld was an experienced mercenary who had fought with distinction for the Imperial Army in the Long Turkish War and in the War of the Ulich Succession. Although of the Catholic faith, he openly allied himself with the Protestant princes, and during the earlier part of the Thirty Years' War was one of their foremost champions. In January 1625, he joined the Dutch who were besieged at Breda, a town today in the south of the Netherlands. Breda was of great strategic importance, heavily fortified and strongly defended by a large and well-prepared garrison of 7,000 men. The local Spanish commander, Spinola, decided to try and starve the town into submission by building a vast line of entrenchments around it. Mansfeld's assistance was not enough to help the defenders hold out. After a costly 11-month siege, the townsfolk of Breda finally surrendered, having suffered tremendous casualties. The Spanish celebrated the event as a great victory in poems, plays and a famous painting by the artist Diego Velázquez. 1625 was a good year for the Spanish, who made frequent attacks against Dutch shipping, resulting in the capture of many vessels. England ended the war against Spain that year, but an expedition to Cadiz was successfully repulsed. The Spanish also succeeded in recapturing the port of Bahia in Brazil from the Dutch. Olivares hoped that if military success could be backed up by economic pressures, then the United Provinces might be forced to make concessions. Already the revival of Habsburg power in Germany had enabled the Spanish to blockade the Dutch river trade into Central Europe. Now Olivares conceived a plan for pressing on into Protestant North Germany, with a view to establishing Habsburg naval power in the Baltic and stopping the Dutch carrying out trade there. The two branches of the Habsburg dynasty, the Spanish and Austrian, were pursuing similar but slightly different strategic objectives. Ferdinand's advisers urged him to consider supporting the Spanish campaign against the Dutch, but they also wanted to ensure their share of the revenues of trade in northern Germany by keeping firm control of coastal ports in East Frisia and river ports on the river Elba. The Emperor was also in a position to consider the issue of confiscation of lands of those in Germany who had opposed him. He planned the full-scale restitution of ecclesiastical lands to his supporters in order to strengthen the authority of the imperial crown. Habsburg plans unfolded gradually over the years, but it was becoming apparent that Ferdinand was attempting to centralise power like never before. Protestant orders and even several local Catholic orders became concerned about an overbearing Habsburg hegemony which would impinge on their traditional rights and privileges. Protestants in the Empire appealed for outside assistance, raising fears of the Habsburgs becoming too powerful, but France and England were reluctant to commit themselves to direct action. In England, things were delayed by the death of James I in April 1625. One of the most concerned orders was King Christian IV of Denmark. As well as king, he was a prince of the empire, with strong interests in the northern German bishoprics of Bremen, Verden and Osnabrück, 
which lay southwest to his duchy of Holstein. Bremen and Verden were particularly important because they potentially held the key to control over the Weser and Elbe estuaries. Christian IV became king in the spring of 1588, when he was just 11 years old. He took over a realm that had an important position in Europe, which comprised not only the Danish peninsula, but also Norway, parts of southern Sweden, the islands of Gotland and Ursel in the Baltic Sea, Iceland and the Faroe Islands, and on the continent the duchies of Schleswig and Holstein. The last two were the most economically developed of the realm. The Danish court was well administered for its time, and quite wealthy, in part thanks to income from ships passing the straits between Denmark and Sweden, into and out of the Baltic Sea. Christian is one of the most popular and well-known historic monarchs of the Danes today. At least in the first half of his reign, his kingdom achieved a level of stability and wealth that was virtually unmatched elsewhere in Europe. During his long reign, which lasted until 1648, he initiated a large number of reforms and projects. For example, he rebuilt and renamed the Norwegian capital Oslo as Christiania, after himself, a name used until 1925. Other cities and city districts he founded include Kristiansand in Norway, Grukstad in Holstein and Kristianshavn in Copenhagen. In Copenhagen, he also had built, among others, Rosenborg Castle, the Observatory Rindertown, the Stock Exchange Bursen, and the Holman Church. One of the main issues in the early years of his reign was the rivalry with Sweden for control over the Baltic Sea and the waters around Norway. In 1597, he initiated various reforms which helped fund an expansion of fortifications along the Swedish border and the modernisation of the fortifications and harbour of Copenhagen. In addition, he enhanced his navy's capabilities and introduced a number of trade regulations to strengthen the Danish market towns. In the year 1625, Christian determined to become involved militarily in the simmering conflict in the empire. His motives were varied. He was concerned about Spanish plans for the Baltic, as well as the imperial advances in northern Germany which threatened his kingdom's trade network, and also his dynastic interests in local bishoprics. In December he met with the Dutch and English in The Hague, and formed an alliance with the aim of restoring Frederick V to his titles in the Palatinate. Part of the reason Christian agreed to participate militarily was concerned that if he refused, then his great rival Sweden would instead take up the opportunity for the same offer of alliance and thereby make gains along the Baltic coast. As for the financing of the campaign, Christian's large cash reserve meant that he was able to proceed without having to appeal for additional taxes. The plan worked out in The Hague was for Christian to lead the main army which would engage the forces of the Catholic League and thus create an opportunity for two smaller armies to act, one to restore Frederick and the Rhineland and the other to help the Positant rebels in Bohemia. One was to be led by Count Mansfeld and the other by Christian of Brunswick. 
In the meantime, the prince of Transylvania, Bethlehem Gabor, a strong Protestant ally, was persuaded to divert the attention of imperial forces in the east. The counterplan devised by Olivares and his Catholic allies was aimed to put pressure on the Dutch economy by compromising her lucrative trade in the Baltic. The Catholic League's army was to contain the Danish army, while the Imperial army was to advance to the Baltic coast and there put pressure on the ports of the Hanseatic League to close trade with the Dutch. A Spanish fleet, meanwhile, was to assemble in the Channel and enter the Baltic in a kind of pincer movement. The plan threatened the economy of the Dutch, and if all went to plan, would allow the Spanish to reconquer the Netherlands. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The main figure of the Imperial Army was Albrecht von Wallenstein. He was born into a Moravian noble family to Protestant parents, but after his father's death he was brought up by his Catholic uncle, who entrusted his education to Jesuits. His two marriages considerably increased his wealth and influence. His first was in 1608 to a widow, Lucretia von Landeck, who died in 1614, leaving him a large fortune. His second, in 1623, was to Isabella von Haurach, whose family was close to the emperor. Wallenstein had entered the emperor's service already earlier, when Ferdinand was Archduke of Staria. He participated in the suppression of the revolt in Bohemia, became the military governor of Prague, and profited greatly from the confiscation of properties of the defeated rebels. Within a short time, he became Prince of Friedland, which gave him a significant territory and allowed him to create a self-sufficient military base. There he proved to be a gifted administrator and improved greatly the local economy, importing cloth weavers, silk workers, arms manufacturers and other artisans. Wallenstein also found a way to make good profits from warfare, not by indiscriminate looting, which characterised most armies of the period, but by compelling the towns where he operated to pay protection money. 
By this means, Wallenstein proposed to Ferdinand a way of establishing imperial authority throughout northern Germany, and to win for himself further awards of lands and titles, including, if the Spanish plan succeeded, substantial lands on the Baltic coast. Ferdinand, recognising his dependence on the troops of various political powers, was persuaded to employ Wallenstein as head of an army. Nevertheless, he was cautious about the scale of Wallenstein's proposals, and at first limited his commission to 21,000 troops. When he heard of Christian's invasion in northern Germany, he agreed to increase the numbers. During the winter of 1625 to 1626, Wallenstein moved north into Germany and linked up with the forces of the Catholic League who were led by the Count of Tilly, the victorious commander of the Battle of White Mountain. For the Danes and their allies, the campaign was a disaster from the beginning. After occupying Magdeburg and Halberstadt, Wallenstein, with 112,000 men under his command, prevented Mansfeld from crossing the River Elbe near Dessau in April 1626. The death of Christian of Brunswick two months later freed up Tilly, who could then concentrate his forces against the Danish army, which he defeated in battle in August at the Battle of Luther. Mansfeld quickly raised another army, with which he intended to attack the hereditary lands of the House of Austria. Pursued by Wallenstein, he pressed forward towards Hungary, where he hoped to meet up with Bethlen Gabor, Prince of Transylvania. But when Bethlen decided to make peace with the Emperor, Mansfeld was compelled to disband his troops. Shortly after, he was taken ill and died. Throughout the next two years, Christian IV, now fighting alone, was unable to stop the advance of the Imperial and Catholic League forces. Wallenstein proposed to Ferdinand II to extend Austrian Habsburg territory all the way to the Baltic coastline. In 1628, he occupied Mecklenburg and Pomerania, whose dukes Ferdinand deposed for having given assistance to Denmark. Wallenstein was granted the titles of both duchies, and with it the key ports of Wismar and Rostock. This shocked Catholic as well as Protestant princes, alarmed at the unilateral decision to take the title of Duke away without consultation and to give it to an upstart nobleman. Soon after, Wallenstein was also given the title of the Admiral of the Imperial Armada. Together with a flurry of shipbuilding activity, it was clear that he and his Habsburg masters now had serious ambitions in the Baltic Sea. In order to consolidate his hold on the Baltic coastline, in April 1628, Wallenstein's forces began the siege of Stralsund, a key port in Pomerania, today the northeastern corner of Germany. Wallenstein calculated that if he could capture this port, he would become a major figure in Baltic commerce. This action forced Sweden and Denmark to ditch their traditional rivalries and together try to thwart Wallenstein's plans. The city authorities agreed to surrender, but the citizens rebelled against the decision, having heard news that support was on its way. Since Stralsund stood on a triangular promontory connected by a causeway with the mainland, Swedish and Danish ships were able to supply the city. 
This underlined the weakness of a land-based military without control of the sea. After a few weeks, Wallenstein abandoned the siege. This minor victory gave Christian IV an opportunity to extricate himself from the war, which had hitherto gone so disastrously. A series of small forays into Holstein helped Christian secure an honourable peace. And with the powerful Danish navy unscathed under threat of further Swedish activity, Wallenstein advised the emperor to make peace, which resulted in the Peace of Lübeck in May 1629. Considering the scale of losses for the Danes, it was not an overly harsh treaty. Christian retained his Danish possessions and was released from payment of any indemnity. But he was forced to renounce his claim to the German bishoprics and any right to intervene in imperial affairs in the future. The settlement was timely for Ferdinand because Wallenstein's demands from the German princes had already caused widespread dismay and both Catholic and Protestant princes were complaining. The Emperor began to wonder how far he could trust Wallenstein, and in the face of so much opposition, considered it might be politically advantageous to disown him. On the other hand, he was heavily in debt to Wallenstein, and needed him to help pull off his next project. Emperor Ferdinand so far had gone from success to success. The Bohemian rebels, the Elector Palatinate and the King of Denmark had all been defeated in battle, Protestants had been suppressed in Austria and Bohemia, and he had advanced the Catholic cause further in ten years than it had been for decades. He felt the time was right to impose a religious solution on the empire and push back Protestantism even further. In March 1629 he declared the Edict of Restitution in an attempt to restore the religious and territorial agreements reached in the Peace of Augsburg of 1555. This would involve the restoration of all church lands secularised since the 1550s and a total outlawing of Calvinism. At one stroke the boundaries of Germany were to be withdrawn. The Edict was bitterly resented not necessarily out of principle, but because it was impractical. How could a whole system of fiefs be moved back 70 years? A great many concessions and sales of land had since taken place, and the present owners, many of them Catholics, who could not be held responsible for changes in earlier times, were at risk of finding themselves unjustly ruined. To make things worse, the decision to make the edict had been made unilaterally, without consultation with the elected Diet. If it threatened the Protestants with disaster, the Catholics were no less alarmed. The long-awaited triumph of their church was not to be celebrated if it meant giving up their own rights and privileges to the Emperor. In 1630, Ferdinand summoned the Diet to Regensburg to secure its members' assent to certain proposals. He wanted his son recognised as King of the Romans, a title which would have ensured his succession to the imperial throne, and he sought an agreement to support Spain against the Dutch. But the Diet were no longer in any mood to go along with the proposals. The electors persuaded Ferdinand to dismiss the hated Wallenstein, who they considered of inferior social status, 
and with such a large army under his control, he looked too much like an instrument for creating a potential Habsburg autocracy. Despite Ferdinand's concession to remove Wallenstein, the Diet refused to elect Ferdinand's son as King of the Romans, and also secured a reduction in the size of the Imperial Army. The Count of Tilly was appointed commander of both the Imperial and Catholic League armies. With the Edict of Restitution, Ferdinand had dangerously overreached his authority. He considered it a triumph, crowning military conquest with Catholic restoration. Hindsight was to show it was a mistake. An emperor, thinking in terms of political and social stability, would not have made such a risky gamble. Instead of concluding the war which had begun in 1618, in a position greatly enhanced, his excess of ambition conspired to trigger a new phase of conflict. And with the loss of Wallenstein, his most effective military commander, and by upsetting many of his allies, his empire was about to become vulnerable to an attack from the north. Enter stage next week, the Lion of the North, King Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden. My name is Carl Rylett, and you've been listening to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. If you enjoy the show, why not give it a great review on iTunes and let other people find out about it. Next week, as I mentioned, I will talk about the invasion of Sweden, which escalates the conflict further. Today's piece of music to close off the show is by an English Renaissance composer by the name of John Dowland. He worked in the employment of King Christian IV of Denmark. This is called Lacrimae, or Seven Tears, and was dedicated to Anne of Denmark, Christian's elder sister, who was married to James I of England. It was published in the year 1604.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.